It's Today Explained. I'm Noelle King. A few weeks ago, I went to Indiana, and I met a lawyer who has been trying to overturn Roe v. Wade for most of his adult life. I don't mean that idly, like he doesn't appreciate Roe and he's gone to certain protests or voted for certain people. I mean it literally. This man graduated from law school with Roe fresh in his mind, and he came up with a plan, and he hit the stacks. I would go to either the law school library or uh, the Supreme Court library at the state capitol. And so I had to go find the books about the Supreme Court, the history of the Supreme Court, and particularly overturning precedent. Overturning precedent. Not easy. But on today's show, we have the story of how his plan worked. James Bopp runs a law firm in his hometown, Terre Haute, Indiana. It's a corner building. It's kind of easy to miss if you're keeping your head down because the wind chill is about minus 70. Wait a minute. Noelle, we went the wrong way. I think. Yeah, that's nine. We were there in March because we'd heard from a very well-informed law professor that Mr. Bopp is perhaps the main reason that Roe versus Wade was so imperiled. Is it true that you are the smartest man in Terre Haute? No. That's the rumor. No. Are you being modest? No. Decades ago, Jim Bopp seized on a novel legal strategy with one goal, undermine that 1973 decision. And, well, here we are in 2022. Do you remember when you became aware of what abortion was, what it meant, what it involved? Yes, early on. My dad was a doctor, and he talked often to us about you do no harm, and, of course, abortion kills the unborn baby. The other thing that was really kind of just accidental was in my room, there was uh, bookshelves above my head. At the very top shelf were all his medical books. And I was interested in becoming a doctor, like my dad and uncle and grandfather. But one of the books was the embryology textbook, and it fascinated me. I was drawn to it. The embryology textbook. Exactly. Uh, the embryo and how it was developing from an embryo to a zygote. It's actually zygote to embryo? And the stages of development and what the characteristics were. I mean, it was kind of a thick book, so it had a lot of stuff in it. But the thing that impressed me that's related to the abortion issue is there was no question that the unborn was a human life from conception. There was no debate about that. That was just simply a biological reality that doctors needed to know and would, would deal with, right? And when you couple that with a physician do no harm, the abortion issue was taking of an individual living human being and uh, that's what's at stake, and that's what makes it wrong, except in rare circumstances. Jim is a conservative. He has always been conservative, even back in the 60s, during which time he did not swing. Did you ever go through a rebellious phase as a teenager? Well, yes, but it isn't the normal one. My rebellion was uh, I was a conservative and a Republican whose teachers were liberal, my rebellion was 
organizing my high school for Barry Goldwater in 1964. Barry Goldwater is calling for courage and integrity in meeting problems. He's calling for an end to do-nothing policies, for progress based on the dynamic principles of the Republic. He's calling for a rebirth of individual freedom. I would remind you that extremism in the defense of liberty is no vice. We created a group in my high school who were Republicans or believed in Goldwater and wanted to do things to advance his candidacy. When Barry Goldwater ran, he was running against the moderate-slash-liberal establishment that controlled and ran the Republican Party. I mean, we were rebels. I mean, we were serious rebels. Goldwater had to overcome incredible odds to uh, get the Republican nomination. I'm facing that electoral vote board, so I can tell you by moving, uh, by moving those electoral votes in Wisconsin to the one column, according to a CBS uh, vote profile analysis, Lyndon Baines Johnson has been elected president of the United States. His electoral vote has gone over the 270 figure by a single vote, 271 and the landslide has carried him in for his first term in office on his own right by his own election. Goldwater lost the election by a lot, in fact. And Jim went away to college to become a doctor, but he did not excel at science, so he went to law school instead. And? I was at the University of Florida in Gainesville, and on January 22nd, when the opinion was handed down, I was driving from uh, the law school to my apartment. This is as distinct a memory as I have in my my life. It was noon, and on comes the noon news report, and it announced what happened with Roe v. Wade. And and I was just shocked and appalled and uh, heartbroken. Specifically, the court today overturned laws in Texas and Georgia and ruled the government has no right to enter into a decision which should be made by the mother and her doctor. During the second three months of pregnancy, it ruled a state may regularly... It's just like yesterday. And, uh, yeah, because I thought this was really important. I mean, I just don't think there's anything more important than government's responsibility to protect life. After graduation, he went to work for the Indiana Attorney General. Then he opened an office in downtown Indianapolis, where he says he went broke for a few years. And then he got involved in National Right to Life, where there was this battle underway among people who were anti-abortion. The battle was between incrementalism and absolutism. Absolutism was we would be morally complicit in Roe v. Wade if we accepted it as law. And therefore, the only thing that we can ever propose or support is pre-Roe v. Wade prohibitions on abortion, period. The incrementalists understood, I mean, you gotta learn what fights to fight and what hills to die on, right? No one has ever confused me with the Don Quixote, all right? So the, the reality is the pronouncements of the Supreme Court are the law of the land and will be followed by all judges. And so you have to accept that and work within it. Uh, that is not a hill to fight on. It's foolish. They wanted to fight on that hill. 
And what that would have meant was, if the only laws we would ever support are complete prohibitions on abortion, few of those would pass, if any. None of them would ever survive the, the most modest court challenge. And what was threatened by that uh, approach was that the abortion issue would be taken off the public agenda. Okay, so there would be no prospect of anything about Roe v. Wade ever happening. So it's sort of like Roe versus Wade, that decision exists, but we're not going to wave a magician's wand and make it disappear. So we have to like drill little holes in it where we can. Right. And, and that is, of course, the traditional strategy that has been employed uh, by people who wanted to overturn precedent, is that they understood that to overturn a precedent, uh, it requires uh, a series of cases where the, the precedent is undermined. So the big thing in so, your mind is to get these individual cases to the Supreme Court. Yes, because... You're smiling. T- exactly. <laughs> I got it. If they don't take up a case, they can't be uh, asked to or consider overturning the precedent. And uh, if they uphold the law without overturning the precedent, we now have a law that is likely to save lives. Where did you get the idea for this chipping away at Roe strategy? Uh, the NACP. Plessy versus Ferguson. Exactly. Plessy versus Ferguson to leading to Brown versus Board, Board of Education. Explain the whole thing. Oh, my goodness. It, it is. <laughs> I mean, when I uh, got involved with National Right to Life, one of my first tasks was to develop a strategy to overturn Roe v. Wade. I mean, and to implement that strategy. And so I read all about the NACP strategy because... It, it uh, you know, it has been well covered. Uh, it was very conscious. I mean, Thurgood Marshall put it together and implemented it. The president should have shortly after the decisions, or at least by now, have gotten on a television uh, network or radio and spoken as the chief executive of this government to the good people of the South, urging them to support the decision of the Supreme Court is the law of the land, whether they believed in it or not. All the elements of what you could see in prior cases, other instances where precedent had been overturned, all the elements that the NACP recognized had occurred in all these cases and then implemented successfully were all there. All right? They're identifying individual cases, the NAACP, They're saying if we get this in front of the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court could make a decision on this particular case that would overturn Plessy versus Ferguson. Right. And they keep doing that. And they keep doing that, uh, but they do it even in a more sophisticated way. How so? They were dealing with Plessy versus Ferguson, and the doctrine was separate but equal. And they said, well, we've got to undermine, remember the words undermine, because what you need to do is undermine the precedent uh, by getting the courts to question it, explain it, or change its the doctrine, uh, distinguish it, until they're finally ready to jettison it by overruling it. So they started with a medical school. Quick correction, it was a law school. The rest of this story is accurate. And the reality of a separate school for blacks that would be equal to the white is preposterous. 
okay? And of course, didn't exist in the real world. And of course said, no, the black school is not equal, all right? And they struck it down. And then they just kept working their way down, okay? Until they got to the Topeka, Kansas Elementary School. Ruling in five cases in which five Negro children sought the right to go to the same schools as white children, the court said, separate educational facilities are inherently unequal. So this was now the incrementalist strategy. Bring abortion case after abortion case before the Supreme Court that the court has to rule on and try to undermine the precedent of Roe. I set out to advance the conservative cause to make it a majority, not to live in the minority. What was a fringe idea, which was conservative ideas, you know, has become a mainstream. That's huge. Explained comes from Mint Mobile. Sometimes you see a really good sale, a really good deal, and you think, huh, what's the catch? You may be used to seeing quote unquote great deals from overpriced wireless providers and thinking, what's the catch? With Mint Mobile, they say there is no catch. For a limited time, their wireless plans are just 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three month plan. To get this new customer offer and your new three month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, you can go to mintmobile.com slash explained. That's mintmobile.com slash explained. You could cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash explained. $45 upfront payment is required. That's equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speeds slower above 40 GB on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Support for Che Explained comes from FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. If you like spy thrillers or indeed Elizabeth Moss, then you might want to check out FX's The Veil. It's an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. Oh, I'll go. One woman has a secret, same here, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming only on Hulu. Back with Today Explained. Okay, so Jim Bopp started applying the incrementalist strategy. He brought case after case after case. He assisted with lawsuits in Ohio, in Missouri, in Massachusetts. The point was to undermine Roe bit by bit until the justices were ready to overturn it. And then in 1992 came a big one. The case was called Planned Parenthood versus Casey. The Supreme Court heard arguments on the constitutionality of Pennsylvania's abortion law today. The law is considered one of the strictest in the nation. It requires a married woman to notify her husband. This could be the culmination of our strategy. 
We may have the votes for them to actually overturn it. The case is considered the most direct challenge to date of the Supreme Court's 1973 Roe v. Wade decision, which legalized abortion. The state of Pennsylvania had tried to add a few restrictions to abortion, not to make it illegal per se, but to make it harder in a few ways, to chip away at it. Now, this was an incrementalist dream situation, not to mention eight out of the nine justices on the court had been appointed by Republicans. The restrictions at issue were as follows. Parental notice. If a kid under 18 wants to get an abortion, the doctor has to inform the parents. Informed consent, waiting period. If you want an abortion, you have to sit through informational presentations and then wait a certain amount of time before the procedure. And spousal notice. If a married woman wants to get an abortion, she has to inform her spouse. And then what the hay happened? Our obligation is to define the liberty of all, not to mandate our own moral code. I was in the court. I'm sitting where the lawyers sit, right in front of the justices. You're wearing a tie, presumably, suit and tie. Well, yeah. It's the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. Black socks as opposed to my normal white socks. After considering the constitutional questions decided in Roe, the principles underlying the institutional integrity of this court and the rule of stare decisis, we reaffirm the constitutionally protected liberty of the woman to decide to have an abortion before the fetus attains viability. Instead of winning, we lost five to four. What went through your head? I I was very disappointed, tragically disappointed. And the three justices that we didn't get, that we had hoped to get, we didn't get for different reasons, right? But they joined together in one opinion where they did two things. They reaffirmed that the right to abortion is fundamental but they also changed Roe v. Wade, okay, to make reasonable regulations on abortion much easier to uphold. It was definitely not a total loss. As I'm walking out, I mean, I'm immediately thinking, okay, the court has given us, uh, obviously, a new analysis that will allow for more extensive regulation on abortion, and that's what we got to turn our mind to. I don't want to put thoughts in your head, but had I been you, I think the thing going through my head at that moment would have been, this is not a total loss. And also, I would really like to change the composition of that court. Well, we've always known that the constitution of the court is a critical element in this. I mean, let's be real here. I was born at night, but not last night. Okay, and so I understand that justices are human. Uh, I understand that they change over time. They are affected by their life experiences. They're affected by their context in which they're living uh, and making decisions. I'm an optimistic person. I've always understood politics is a process, not an event, and that we were in it for the long haul. And, and that we believed we had a strategy that could ultimately succeed. But only if they had sympathetic judges. There were four Reagan appointees on the court in that Casey decision, and they'd let Roe stand. So Republican presidents would have to nominate a specific kind of judge. Leonard Leo is executive vice president of the Federalist Society. 
which advances the cause of limited constitutional government. The Federalist Society started on college campuses. It was kind of a club for very conservative young people. That group created a pipeline that went from law schools to clerkships to the federal bench. He organized conservative support for Clarence Thomas and John Roberts and Sam Alito. But his role increased dramatically when candidate Trump asked him to draw up a list of potential nominees. Now, it's worth noting here, Jim Bopp insists the Federalist Society is not that big a deal. I really was under the impression that when the Federal Society, quote-unquote, endorsed a judge, that judge was understood to be somebody who would vote to overturn Roe versus Wade. And you're saying there's no guarantee of that. I, I, I've been in the leadership of the Federal Society. I've been on the inside of, of this. And that's not the case. We, we do not uh, ask those questions of a prospective nominee. You know, like, even the question, what do you think about Roe v. Wade? We would never ask the question, would you vote to overturn it? That, that would be totally unethical. It would be wrong for us to ask, wrong for the judge to answer. I don't know what the liberals do, but I, I know that that's what we do. Any lawyer that would tell you that judges don't matter then you have a fool for a lawyer, and you ought to change lawyers, okay? <laughs> because judges do matter, because they're human beings. And so there's no question that the fight over judges is understandable, particularly when you have judges like liberal ones that vote based upon their policy views, not what the Constitution provides, in my opinion now, okay? So judges matter. I want somebody that will faithfully interpret the Constitution based upon its meaning at the time it was adopted. Liberals want somebody that will uh, reinterpret that language based on, you know, society's current needs, and, and, and that's a problem. After the Supreme Court draft opinion on Roe leaked... I called Jim Bob. This is Jim Bob. Mr. Bob, hello. Can you hear me? I can. He's been working a case in Richmond. Oh, yeah. I'm taking back, getting ready to have my first beer here in a little bit. It's been decades. Do you feel vindicated today? Not yet. <laughs> Not until uh, we get a majority opinion overturning Roe v. Wade. Uh, I mean, you know, we got so close in 1992. Do you take credit for where we are today? To, and I don't mean today in the broad sense. I mean today, right now, this afternoon. The only thing I would take credit of is being persistent. And, uh, and my motto always has been, you don't lose until you give up. Everything else is just a temporary setback or maybe a temporary advance, whatever. Uh, and uh, you, you don't lose until you give up. It's the way it is. And uh, so I've never given up, and I'm not going to give up. And, uh, you know, I, I can say I, I've done that because I've been persistent, and maybe, and, and I just hope one of these days it you know, bears the ultimate truth. Jillian Weinberger co-reported and produced today's episode. 
Matthew Collette and Catherine Wells edited it. Efim Shapiro engineered it. And Laura Bullard and Tori Dominguez fact-checked it. I want to shout out law professor Mary Ziegler. She was, in fact, the person who brought Mr. Bopp to our attention. She's the author of a terrific book called Dollars for Life, The Anti-Abortion Movement and the Fall of the Republican Establishment. I read it on the plane on the way to Indiana. And hey, here's a thought. It is a Cray news cycle, and we want to know what you would like explained. Whether it's about Roe versus Wade or about abortion more broadly or about where this country is headed on this issue, we have a hotline. Sean monitors it. If you want to leave us a message, please do. Call us at 202-688-5944. I'm Noel King, and this is Today Explained. 